Welcome to Sex and Happiness with Lori Handlers. Amazing sex and intimacy are just around the corner. While Lori puts the finishing touches on her new book, Sex and Happiness Over 60, please enjoy this show. It's one of her favorites from the Sex and Happiness Archives. My guest today is Dr. Christine Hicks, and she's a naturopath in integrative and natural medicine. Christine specializes in some of these things, which may be on your mind at this point in your life. I don't know. I hope so. Weight loss, bioidentical hormones, prolotherapy, allergies, acupuncture, craniosacral, digestive health, and she also works with trigger points. So, Christine, thank you for joining me today on Sex and Happiness. Thanks for inviting me. It's exciting to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you and to talk about these things. So let's start, Christine, let's start with women who are postmenopausal and have, like myself, have been talking about or trying out things like hormonal drops, hormonal creams, and the magic pellet. Tell, tell, give me some ideas about that. Let's talk about that. And as we unfold, we'll unfold, you know, how you came to some of your, your conclusions. Many of the women I see have never been on hormones. Um, they come to me maybe for hormone replacement or they come for other issues that are typical of perimenopause and menopausal women. And a lot of that starts many years earlier than they expect. So if we're saying 50 years old is the estimate for about when most women are menopausal or perimenopausal, most women start experiencing hormonal decline between 40 and 45 years old. So they may have been suffering for some issues of hormones being out of balance uh, that they didn't associate with menopause because they were still having a menstrual cycle or they were told they were too young. What are some of the things that we're talking about here? What are some of the symptoms that you're speaking of? Well, the main symptoms that I see, and I think that they've gotten exacerbated with uh, the overwhelming stresses of modern life, is anxiety, uh, poor quality sleep, uh, uncontrollable weight gain. Those are the main three that women start to complain about, usually around 40. They might be waking up with night sweats. They might be having very long, heavy uh, periods. And they go to their doctor to take care of those and are usually given a prescription uh, birth control pills or antidepressants or sleeping aids. They might be, or Xanax, you know, if they're having anxiety. Or they might be recommended to get procedures like ablation to burn out the uterine lining to control the bleeding. But underlying all of those is the hormonal decline of uh, usually progesterone, um, which starts at about 35 or 40 as women are making less eggs and uh, less frequently and they have more stress in their life. And uh, I find that that's the most frequently undertreated health issue for most of my female patients for most of those types of problems. Uh, hands down, it's almost always associated with progesterone loss at about 35 or 40. That's just amazing that you're talking about that because I want to tell you that all of those things happened to me that you're describing at about 42. I remember buying, going to Chinatown and buying fans of every different color so that I had a fan to match every outfit or to put in every briefcase. <laughs> 
Now, in Arizona, we might chalk it up to the heat, but uh, women who are going through this knows this is going on all year round. And, you know, in the middle of the night, they're waking up covered with sweat and an anxious mind because they can't stay asleep. Um, and their, their mind is repeating thoughts and uh, they notice their menstrual cycles might be getting heavier and heavier or their PMS is getting more intense. It's easy to uh, place the blame on our stressful jobs, our stressful families, our stressful relationships, but actually our experience of the hormonal imbalance makes everything more stressful, which then triggers more imbalance. And the sad part is how many women I've met who've been given inappropriate medication, such as antidepressants and anxiety medication or even birth control pills, that haven't done anything to solve the problem. They've just suppressed the symptoms and they're still suffering quite a bit. I can totally relate to that, what I was saying to you also. I didn't live in Arizona then, so believe me, in the middle of the winter in Washington, D.C., I would throw the covers on, throw the covers off, throw the covers on, and then sometimes it was freezing out and I still had to have the air conditioner going. (laughs) So I definitely understand it and I didn't, I mean, I didn't know what to do about it. I remember calling my mother and saying, Mom, when you were going through menopause, did you want to kill someone? (laughs) And she said, no. And I said, really? And then I called my father and I said, when Mom was going through menopause, did she want to kill someone? And he said, oh, yeah. (laughs) So... Absolutely. And uh, many women have uh, learned to, you know, be successful by taking on more and more responsibility and trying to perform more intensely at their work or in their marriages or uh, they have their growing children to take care of their elderly parents who might be having health issues. And they succeed by taking care of everything but themselves. And that stress hormone takes the progesterone out of the body and turns it into more stress hormones so that they can cope. And then, of course, the side effects are the sleeplessness, the anger, um, the memory loss that starts to trickle in sometimes. You know, the the re- reproductive hormones affect the, are affected by stress hormone. They affect thyroid home, hormone. They're affected by thyroid hormone. There's a balance, and not any individual hormone ever acts alone. So important. That is so important to know. So you would, so the stress, so it's the thyroid. What about the adrenals? Well, the adrenal hormones, uh, there's a number of them, and uh, they do different things related to, the, you have your main stress hormones, uh, adrenaline, noradrenaline, or epinephrine, norepinephrine. They're more or less the same. Uh, cortisone, cortisol, which we hear a lot about with the stress hormone, and then we have uh, blood pressure hormones that regulate that. Uh, those are different set of hormones. And then our sex hormones also come from the adrenal glands. So our adrenal glands are our powerhouses, and that's where everything that we need to survive uh, in the hormonal sense is mostly manufactured there. And adrenal stress is not treated or even recognized in modern medicine by regular doctors. And by regular doctors, I mean MDs and DOs who are in the allopathic medical system. But adrenal stress has long been noted uh, for 80 years or more as, uh, you know, the imbalances from chronic stress that lead to all the these uh, downstream problems that we're talking about today. The scope of what we're talking about is enormous and it affects so many people. And we're just talking about half the population, which is women. You know, we'll get to something about men as well. I want to know, 
what would you do first? Let's just talk about the first. Is it a blood panel? If a woman is suffering from any of these symptoms that we've talked about and a doctor is about to prescribe an antidepressant, what would be the first thing that you would say to do? When I manage patients, sometimes when they're coming to me, they already know they have a hormone problem, and I assess pretty quickly what direction we're going based on a few simple questions about whether or not they still have a period, what their period is like when they get it, uh, because if they're not having a period anymore, we have we might still have problems, but, you know, a 50-year-old woman and a 35-year-old woman are in a different phase of their life um, with their hormones. And uh, so first we figure that out. I assess their stress levels. I assess whether or not they're in a supportive relationship, what their family life is like, because I can't take on the responsibility of them reducing their job stress or having marital counseling, but I might suggest that it'll help them cope better because adding hormones doesn't make the, the difficulties go away. Um, but initially, we have a conversation about what can be changed and then do a, an assessment for thyroid hormones, uh, the adrenal sex hormones, cortisol. Um, vitamin D is a big one. It's in the same uh, category of hormones, actually, as the other hormones we're assessing. And so vitamin D deficiency has a huge impact. Um, and then other things that might be insidious like a long-term infection or anemia that are exacerbating these. So I always check for that because uh, women, particularly with heavy periods, often have a secondary problem of anemia and that will make them feel vulnerable as well and a lot of anxiety. There's a whole medical approach to this. It's not just in your mind. It's not just in your body. It's looking at who you are every day in your life um, and then we test appropriately from what you answer. So that's why this is called integrative and natural medicine. We look at everything. I love that. What I like to have every patient leave my office with a sense of self-empowerment. Um, the labs that I'm going to be taking might take a little while for, to get back because it takes a few weeks. And uh, there may be issues of finances with all the health insurance changes and concerns about um, scheduling for blood draws. And it has to be done. But I know that between the first visit and the next visit, I want my patient to experience uh, self-empowerment and positive change. So usually, um, other than waiting for the results to come back, I like to have a sense of where they are in their personal health and fitness. Um, what's their sleep like? Do they exercise? How much alcohol do they drink? Uh, what's their diet like? What is their work schedule um, because those are all things that directly impact their sense of well-being. And something immediate, like get off of energy drinks, might be all the difference between when I see them that day and three weeks later, that might have already improved their sleep or given them less abdominal bloating or made them realize that they were uh, drinking something that uh, all day long that was exacerbating their sensation of feeling stressed out. But they might not know that they're related. So, you mean energy drinks like Red Bull? Absolutely. So addiction to uh, packaged drinks, diet sodas, energy drinks, um, even moderate use like one a day can have a huge impact on how you feel. And although we feel that they help us cope with stress, a lot of things actually make our experience of stress worse because they shut down our adrenal glands' ability to respond to stress appropriately. 
um, alcohol and women don't mix very well. And as we get older, our ability to metabolize it drastically reduces as our hormones decline. And although there's not much we can do about that with our ability to handle it, understanding that our use uh, tolerance is actually going to decline pretty rapidly is important because alcohol absolutely makes hot flashes worse, night sweats worse, vaginal dryness worse, and increases a sense of um, anxiety and depression in people that are vulnerable to that. Mm. What about coffee? Well, coffee I love. <laughs> I tried to give it up last year for a few <laughs> months and realized that I didn't know if I wanted to live without it. But I drink a lot less than I used to, and it was very helpful to see that I had gotten to used to having too much to feel good. And so, at any time, something we're used to might we need to might need to take a break and self-assess on our dependence versus our enjoyment. Um, a little coffee is very helpful for some people, particularly if they have a slow digestion. It might help them focus and give them a little energy. Too much coffee is too much, and that's poor sleep, high blood pressure, irritability. And but coffee or not, the you know concentrated caffeine and the sodas and other sources is almost universally worse. But if you're drinking six lattes a day, you have a problem um, for many reasons. Uh, probably one or two cups of coffee or half-calf coffee in the morning is pretty reasonable for most people. If it's not reasonable for you, though, you should stop. Hmm. Very important. So now they get a blood panel done as well. You've, you've assessed the way their life is going. You've assessed the stress in their life. You've assessed how they are in their job and what's going on in their home and all the other symptoms that we're talking about. And now they get a blood panel and then what? Like what are the kinds of things that you're looking for in a blood panel? Well, we always go back to the first visit. So when I interview a patient, I have them self-assess verbally their energy level. Um, are they experiencing hot flashes, night sweats, uh, vaginal dryness, pain with intercourse? Can they have an orgasm? If they can still have an orgasm, does it take a lot of work? Is it difficult? What's their energy like? What's their memory like? You know, are they irritable all the time? Are they forgetting everything? Because this gives me a clue on what types of hormones we're looking at. And then when I get the labs back, I still talk to them if we've made some changes, what's changed. So maybe they cut out the coffee in the afternoon and now they're sleeping better. So that'll be a huge component. And maybe they cut out the coffee in the afternoon and now they're falling asleep at 4 p.m. And that tells me about adrenal fatigue. Uh, the labs confirm but they don't always diagnose. So there's absolute menopause when you're not making any estradiol anymore, and then there's relative menopause when you're making enough to stay in the normal range for your family doctor, but not enough to feel good. And bioidentical hormone replacement is not about labs. It's about how you feel and what your goals are for wellness. A lot of women are afraid of taking too much hormone, and too much is how much your body can handle and how you handle those hormones once that you're putting them in your body. So if you're feeling very comfortable at a certain blood level, you don't have any symptoms and you're functioning as well as you want, that level might be way too high for another person and it might be way too low for someone else. So if I only go on labs, I'm doing a disservice to the feelings that we're trying to treat. And mm -hmm. if I only go on feelings, 
on being irresponsible. So we, we have to look at both, uh, both uh, elements when we're looking at labs. And every person has a different threshold for what makes them feel good. That's a really great answer. I just want to say that. I mean, I think it's so important that it reminds me of homeopathic pharmacists when they ask certain questions. I mean, they just want to know everything about the situation. So that's the only time, except in dealing with naturopaths like yourself, mm-hmm. that I understand that the doctor, or or in this case what I'm mentioning, the the pharmacist ask people about their lifestyle and everything taken into balance with the blood test. They don't just go by what is said in in some kind of a fancy test. And I think it's so important. I, I don't think we can stress it enough. Absolutely. And my education includes extensive uh, homeopathic training. And although I'm not personally a practicing homeopath, I think some of my best uh, medical training was actually through my homeopathic uh, medical shifts uh, because of the the specific detail to the person in front of you and not the cohort. You know, many uh, doctors prescribe based on, well, you're 55 and 55-year-old women need this, and I know better than to fall for that. (laughs) (laughs) I might know some things that 55 looks like, but I've met women of that age and some definitely look like they're about 45. They've been on hormone balancing for years. They eat well. They exercise. They don't smoke. They don't drink alcohol. They really take care of themselves. And I've met women who at 55 look like they're about 70 because they stop paying attention to what they put in their body and how they think about themselves for so long that they're aging very rapidly. So what does 55 mean to you? Um, or 45? What does it mean to you to be um, vibrant and alive and enjoying where you are? What are your goals for your life? And that is always up to the patient, not to the doctor. So important. Now, Christine, the other day when we were talking, I told you that most of my friends had testosterone pellets or some mix, testosterone with some kind of estrogen pellet or a progesterone pellet or what have you. And I also told you about my journey. I started on I started on drops, and then I uh, went from drops to a pellet, I think. And some of my friends are on creams, but most of them are on pellets. And um, you said some pretty astonishing things to me, like about what happens if a woman isn't, one, exercising tremendously, and two, isn't exercising sexuality. I I want everyone's mouth to drop to the floor as they listen to this show. I really hope that when I interact with my patients that they come out of all of our um, interviews feeling positive, sex positive, not fearful, and empowered that they can make changes they need to make, whether or not they go on hormones, because hormone replacement doesn't work equally well in all women. And uh, the only way you can really learn this is by seeing hundreds and hundreds of women uh, asking the same questions again and again, but actually looking at them because uh, the physical person who walks in the room tells you a lot of information by the way they're built, uh, how they're, um, you know, whether or not they're very overweight, whether how the fat and breast distribution works on their body. That tells me some information about how their body uses estrogen and testosterone. 
Um, you mentioned pellets. Pellets are usually uh, a combination of testosterone and estradiol. If you still have a functioning uterus or a uterus at all, uh, typically the woman is given progesterone. But progesterone is not given in pellets because it's impossible to do that amount. Um, most people think estradiol is the woman hormone, but if you actually look at the amount of progesterone the woman's body makes uh, compared to estradiol at any time during her reproductive years, typically 100 to 200 times the amount of progesterone to estradiol. And why I think we're focusing on estradiol so much and not addressing the progesterone at all that we've done a huge disservice and uh, prescribing too much estradiol without progesterone leading or endometrial overgrowth in postmenopausal women with the uterus. It also leads to loss of memory function and anxiety. So when women go on pellet amount of estrogen, they may be getting a huge amount of testosterone, and they may not be in balance with the progesterone because their doctor doesn't prescribe enough for them or doesn't think they need it because they've uh, gone through a procedure like a hysterectomy which is a shame because the progesterone interacts directly with modifying both the estrogen and testosterone in the body. If your body cannot handle that load that's delivered because it absorbs it and uh, metabolizes it uh, in a way that it can't get it out of the body, it turns into other things. And those other things are other hormones downstream that turn on fat storage switches or they might express as extra hair growth on the face or acne or loss of hair at the scalp. And that's your body having too much hormone it can't get rid of. And so if you're prescribing uh, hormone replacement, you have to have a sense of how does the body handle the hormones that you had when you were growing up. So women who've always had a hard time with fibroids of the breast or uterus or a long history of heavy bleeding periods, maybe they've had their gallbladder out, they're very estrogenic, and they probably don't need a lot of testosterone, but similarly, uh, they need a lot of help in the liver to handle those hormones so they don't start turning on all the growth and fat storage hormones once the pellets are in the body. And if they're drinking a lot of alcohol, that'll change how it interacts. If they smoke, it's a bad idea, but uh, the, the liver is where the action is for getting rid of it, uh, detoxifying and eliminating hormones. And a good history will give me an idea of what your body was doing before I saw you. Mm -hmm. And um, so I don't, if, I think some patients do very well on pellets, but unless you really know what that profile of this looks, does well with pellets, you might be better to try creams or trochies, those are the sublingual, uh, they're not capsules, they're lozenges you break uh, down under the tongue or capsules, but different hormones react differently in the patient. Uh, oral estrogens and testosterones tend to cause more problems with weight than taking it as a cream. Pellets, it's about 50-50. It depends on, you know, if you tend to put on weight very easily, pellets will probably make you gain more weight more quickly. Um, trophies, uh, some women do just great on them and some of them get all of the side effects right away. And, uh, so why that's important is you have to, you can only do what you're willing to do. And if you're not willing to take a cream every day, then creams won't work very well because you're not doing them. But if you believe that the easiest route is putting a pellet in, it's when it's not working anymore and you can't get it out of the body because it takes four to six months 
it's no longer easier. And during that time, you're still suffering from all the side effects you were trying to avoid. Well, I was telling you that somebody very close to me got very belligerent and mm-hmm. angry, and I was clear that it was the testosterone. Mm-hmm. I suggested to her that she might want to go off the pellet for a while and see, and it's amazing how uh, after she didn't get her next pellet insertion, she actually calmed down. And you, and one of the things you said to me, you asked me was, does she have a active sex life? And I said, do you know? <laughs> so um, we talked about that because something about, you know, exercise and also exercising sexual, um, having a great sex life is, are so important to, you, to being able to expend this testosterone. You know, all of the hormones take a lot of effort for your body to make. So if you don't use them, your body isn't going to throw them out. It's going to turn them into something else, and it might be something else you don't want. And with testosterone, it makes muscles and bones really strong, and it can improve your mood and your sense of well-being, and it can make your sex life pretty fantastic if the testosterone's going into your pelvic area. You know, for men, that's obviously the penis. For women, the clitoris and the vulva and the vagina all need testosterone to be sensitive and receptive and a little bit durable so you can have stamina during sex. So I like testosterone for women, but too much testosterone doesn't make you sexier because if your body isn't absorbing it, then it's going to turn into fat storing hormones or make you a little moodier. So I have a rule with my patients when they're on it that they have to use it up with exercise and they have to use it up with sex or it'll all go turn into the fat storage hormones or go to the fat bank. And you have to remember this. If you're on a high dose of testosterone and you work out all the time and you're feeling good, you probably won't run into problems. But if you're on a high dose of testosterone and you injure yourself or some kind of uh, family problem comes up where you're not exercising, you still have to get rid of that testosterone. And if you're not directing it towards the muscles and bones, you're not directing it towards the pelvis and the blood flow in that tissue through sexual activity, it's going to still stay in the body and start turning on all that fat storage that you're trying to avoid. And that's true even if you're not on hormones, but hormones in that sense are like fertilizer. They are growth hormones that exaggerate or stimulate areas of growth. And if it's not sexual growth or muscle and bone growth, it's going to be belly fat growth, which nobody wants. No, nobody wants. (laughs) Nobody wants. (laughs) That's great, Christine. Thanks so much for that explanation. Well, when men reach around 50, 45, 50, I feel like they also have a drop in their hormones and it affects them sexually and uh, weight-wise and et cetera. All the things we've just talked about, women just not sometimes as obvious. What do you have to say about that? Oh, well, I have some things to say about uh, andropause, I think is the term we're calling it now. Yeah. And that's recognizing that vague period of time in which a man might become aware that he's not 25. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And that might be that it's self-assessed because he doesn't feel as good as he used to, or it might be because he's trying to have an intimate relationship with um, a partner and he's unable to fulfill the sexual aspect of the relationship in the way that he desires. 
Um, one of the things that, um, you know, noting not just about women and hormone changes, but even with men and hormone changes is that most of the, the patients I'm seeing now in that age range, let's say 40 to 50, 55, most of them are parents. And as people are delaying parenthood into their late, mid to late 30s, both, both men and women, a lot of times their stress is related to the fact that they have young children at home. And a man who has no young children at home versus a man with a few young children at home will have vastly different hormone profiles due to lack of sleep and nurturing children actually can drive testosterone down in a natural way that might not feel good but isn't necessarily pathologic. And when I meet a man who um, is experiencing hormonal the self-assessed, I don't feel like I, I used to be, I think it's my testosterone. I like to find out what's going on for them as well because they have more than one hormone, although that might not be the most important uh, hormone to them. And testosterone by far is um, the, the most um, abundant hormone for men when they're at their peak. Uh, they do make estradiol. They do make progesterone in smaller amounts, but those amounts are important to their sense of well-being and they're also important in how much relate to the testosterone. But they uh, they have to, once again, they might be working stressful jobs. Uh, they might be having a young family that they're trying to raise, which in itself is a stress. Um, they might have a history of having abused steroids. And I don't see that in women, but it's very common in men. When they were younger, they might have taken something from the gym or a pro-hormone from the, the vitamin shop where they were picking something up and tried something they shouldn't have tried, and that really can affect their later ability to make their own testosterone. Antidepressants and certain medications can drive testosterone down, um, particularly if they're in the steroid family like prednisone. People who have allergies and asthma take a lot of that. That drives down all of the adrenal hormones, drives down testosterone remarkably. Um, and then men are also more likely to have head injuries because of playing sports or being in the armed services. So uh, their testosterone may be low, but all of their hormones may be low because they had a couple concussions or they're getting treated for uh, traumatic brain injury or PTSD from their uh, active duty. And I'm sad to say that that's a huge component of men that I see that are younger than 50 um, are struggling with these issues because of our um, current situation. But it's a real issue and it affects a lot of families because that goes to mood, sense of well-being, and participation in a healthy relationship. So what should they do? Well, it depends on which doctor they choose. And um, I, I similarly talk to men about uh, if they have a history of depression, if they're on antidepressants, they might have way too much estrogen. They may have way too little progesterone. Uh, which will affect their mood and affect how much testosterone their body can handle. Um, they, we have upstream hormones in the um, from the adrenal glands, as do women, DHEA and pregnenolone. And if those are nice and full, nice levels, and there's only a little testosterone missing, it's a lot easier to replace testosterone or balance it with testosterone and HCG than it is when all of their levels are depleted, because then it's more comprehensive. Um, we similarly do an assessment for um, vitamin D, thyroid. It's not as common to have thyroid disorders with men, but it can be untreated. 
um, the cortisol levels being way too high or way too low. Find out, are they working out? Are they, if they're working out really hard at the gym all the time, they might be overdoing it because that hard exercise uses up their testosterone and it'll make them tired and it'll make their libido be not uh, as much as they would like. And men who don't exercise at all are not going to feel good because they're going to be making more estrogen and getting fatter and having more erectile dysfunction issues. Such important stuff. Really, when men say to me, a lot of times men come to me and they say, you know, I'm just not feeling it anymore. And I just go, oh, my God, you have to get your hormones checked. You have to check your lifestyle. I do say that because I've realized long ago that men are not discounted in this whole equation. For so many years, it's been thought, you know, women need hormone replacement therapy, but I think it's it's also there's so much estrogen in the food that we eat. Absolutely. In chickens and in in all kinds of things are treated with estrogen and so I think that's affecting men as well and men's libido. Absolutely. There's the hormones you're talking about and then there's things that drive that, that kind of hormone change and that's lack of activity. So you don't have to be a marathon runner to get exercise. You don't have to be the muscly guy at the gym to, you know, put in a couple push-ups or lift some weights. But when you're not using the hormones as, you know, nature intended to make you strong and healthy and flexible and durable, they're going to be increasing insulin resistance and that leads to belly fat and that leads to diabetes and heart disease. And so when you're looking at someone who has a lot of that, just giving them testosterone will not actually make their problem go away because it'll still turn into the estrogen. It'll still elevate the insulin resistance. So I have seen men who have problems with this and the low testosterone who've gone to a doctor who doesn't understand the interrelated dynamic of life and lifestyle and hormones and driven high amounts of testosterone into them only to have them become more estrogenic more insulin resistance and having that more acne and having more bad moods and their their ability to have a healthy libido or even just have a healthy erection hasn't changed very much. But they do get upset about it, and then that drives their self-esteem and anger issues because they don't know why it's not working for them. And then they get a prescription for Cialis or... Viagra, and they think that everything's going to go away. Amazing stuff. Christine, how do people get in touch with you? And before you tell me that, can people have, obviously you're in the Phoenix, Arizona area. Not everybody that's listening to this is in the Phoenix, Arizona area. I promise you that. They're all over the world. My listeners come from everywhere. So how can they get in touch with you, and would you be willing to talk to them on the phone or over Skype? to advise them on what they can do if they fall into any of the descriptions and the categories that you talked about? Well, I uh, absolutely. I can talk to just about anyone, but I can't dispense medical advice to everybody. The rules are that if you want to get prescriptions and lab work done and medical advice about what to take and how to take it, that requires a visit with me in person and then regular checkups because Some of these hormones are controlled substances, and we're very cautious about them because they are abused. But I can do consultation for people to talk about what their concerns are and what questions to ask their their, their doctor. That's exactly what I want. I want people to be able to speak to somebody as knowledgeable as you and know what questions to ask. Hormone replacement is not equally available outside of the United States. And so I see those patients once or twice a year, and they come visit me, and then 
they arrange to have their hormones sent to them via the pharmacy or a, a family member. It's not impossible. It just takes a little bit more work. But I know that it's not always possible for people to get the hormones they want where they are. And then they're forced to take standard prescriptions because that's what's available and they don't feel any better and there are ways to make it better and it just takes a little time and a little effort. Beautiful. Thanks so much. So Christine Hicks, thanks for being my guest today. It was a pleasure having you. It's so much material. I hope people listen to this show a couple of times to really get in touch with what's needed and necessary for them. Everybody, this is Laurie Handler signing off for Sex and Happiness. I'll see you on my next show when I'll have another amazing expert, something having to do with your sex and happiness. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.